Hey everyone, welcome back to Office Politics Season 2. It feels so good to be back on the mic. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this podcast is for professionals surviving their nine to five. We talk about, you know, highs, lows, everything in between. And to kick off this second season, I have a very special guest. In fact, I was looking up to this guest back when I was working in marketing what feels like a million years ago, and that is Alex Williamson. If the name sounds a little familiar, it is because she was the former chief brand officer at Bumble, which, fun fact, is how Jordan and I met. So thank you, Alex. (laughs) Um, But now she is the co-founder and CEO of Astea, an income insurance platform focused on protecting people's financial, mental, and physical well-being through accessible and transparent income insurance services. And in this episode, we get into a lot of things related to prioritizing health, starting over, and knowing when to leave a a good thing. I'm really excited for you guys to tune in, um, but a little quick housekeeping note. In my excitement, you know, I definitely made a few tech issues. I recorded while Mercury was in retrograde, so my audio is going to be a little bit muffled, but... It shouldn't matter too much. We're really here to hear what Alex has to say. And with that, let's get into our interview. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, It's been really awesome to get to know each other much better over the last year. And I'm excited to tell everyone about everything that you've been up to and really open the conversation about chronic illness um, and, and insurance. Thank you so much, Jasmine. I agree. I just, I think you're awesome and, and everything that you're working on is, is, has been inspiring to me. So I really appreciate you having me on the show. Of course. Now, I think most listeners likely know you from your time at Bumble. You were on the executive team, um, but I would really love to know what the last couple of years have looked like for you professionally and what's led you on your new mission. Absolutely. So, um, for a lot of people who don't know me, I was at Bumble from the very beginning before the app was even uh, live, and and I helped launch and, and scale that product as the chief brand officer um, for five years. And um, and during my time there, at towards the end, I ended up actually needing to take medical leave. I've had a chronic health condition at that point. I'd had it for about a decade, um, and it had never impacted my life up till then. Um, or, or I guess it had, but it hadn't prevented me from ever being able to work. And, and I was constantly traveling and, and, and it just got to the point where my body quite frankly shut down and I was in pain from migraines to muscular, muscular joint pain, what have you from my head to my feet. Um, and, and the company was very supportive in allowing me to take medical leave, to take time to, as we called it, power heal Mm. for three months. And, and get back on my feet. Um, and so Western doctors recommended that I go an Eastern approach. Um, there is not much for fibromyalgia uh, in the Western space beyond taking, you know, throwing some various medications at it to see if they, they help. And so I actually went to Thailand and I studied, I, I lived in an ashram that was affiliated with the oldest yoga school in the world uh, out of India. And I studied yoga and Ayurveda 
and worked with um, Eastern doctors while I was over there in, in, the, in the traditional Chinese medicine space um, and really got to, to where I was feeling better um, and realized that I developed a new passion uh, for helping people on their health journey um, and helping people heal. And, uh, and so I decided at that point to look for something that would, that would help enable me to, to have some sort of, um, positive, uh, impact on people's lives in that way. So I, I looked for my, my next venture and, and adventure, and I ended up meeting, um, my now business partners and they were working on, um, really rethinking the, the income insurance space, and um, and had have been working on a product that that we just recently launched um, that is a is the first of its kind. It's a fully digitized um, product that that is uh, available online um, and and in first of its kind. It's the first uh, income insurance product that can take you from quote to policy in a matter of minutes, uh, which has never existed before. In order to get income insurance in the past, it can. It can take 30 to six, 30 to 90, excuse me, days. Wow. And, and we have taken it down to a matter of minutes. And what I think is so beautiful about this, this particular product, we have an assortment of products within our, our group and that, that we offer. Um, and it's been so fun and so, uh, so inspiring and exciting and challenging to join a team of seasoned insurance executives um, coming from a dating app background. Um, <laughs> but what's been so nice about it is that about this particular product that, that we just launched, you know, our newest product that we have out uh, since March is that it's available for people who are self-employed, mm-hmm. uh, gig economy, freelancers who traditionally would not be able to access income insurance. And our entire mission is to make income insurance accessible to every everybody from every in, income bracket profession, gender. And so that's that's what our overall mission and focus is. Um, what I realized during this time where I was struggling with my health is that if you don't have your finances in order mm-hmm. and something catastrophic happens in your life, you cannot heal. You cannot take care of yourself because there's no way to focus on getting well if you're focused on paying your bills. Um, you know, it's, it's stressful. It's, it's too much and, and, and too, too difficult. And so I realized quickly that in order to help people with their health and wellness journey, the most empowering way to do that is to help them with their finances. That is a whole word in the gospel because don't get me wrong. Self-care is definitely, it can be you know, the fun, more surface level, like bubble baths and, you know, eating dark chocolate in bed. And then obviously things that are really important, like going to therapy, keeping your body active if if you're able to. Um, But I think you are, you're opening the conversation into finances, which is something that is still taboo and, or we're just not aware of it. I think, Insurance is still something that feels um, very grown up and out of reach. And I love that you're making it not only accessible, but approachable. It doesn't have to be scary, just in the way that investing doesn't necessarily need to be scary. We just have to, you know, break these barriers down and educate one another, which is what I really love about your mission. It feels far more um, relatable is like the word that comes to mind. 
Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're really looking at this as a introducing this product and educating people on it because it's um, it's a product that, that most people don't have a general awareness mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And even as somebody who'd taken medical leave, I didn't even, I didn't know about this product. And that's that was a true aha moment for me is that I think most of our most members of our society have been in some ways like locked out from being able to access this product. And that's really what we want to achieve is, is, is making it, you know, slowly, you know, this is a, you know, this is, you know, a long-term, you know, um, mission because it is, we are disrupting an, an, an seasoned space, if you will, um, you know, in order to, to help people gain access to it. And I think that that's, I think it's really important without this product. I realized when I learned about it, I, to me, it was, I, I was thinking it's the most important insurance product in my opinion, on the market, because without this product, you're not able to pay for any of your other products. So say something happens, you know, catastrophically to your health, um, you can't pay for car insurance, you can't pay for health insurance, you can't pay for, uh, you know, you're unable to pay for any any of the other insurance policies without this. Absolutely. It really hits home, particularly in my life right now. I have um, I'm actually seeing a specialist later on. I have some gastric issues, but lately the, the pain has just been more persistent, um, a lot stronger. And I'm working with a specialist and I don't get to see her until August. And we're recording this um, early June, but those questions do run through your mind. And I know I'm fortunate. I, I'm on my husband's insurance, but those things do run through my mind. And I have had to educate myself to know what are our options, um, you know, with or without my husband's job. So I appreciate that aspect a lot. Um, and I would love to talk about the past year and that I think 2020 helped shape many of us um, to be more educated, conscious individuals. I definitely applaud a lot of employers who have been forced to become more empathetic and are really trying their best to learn from past mistakes, rise to the occasion, and be better employers to their to their workforce. Um, and I think that we're reminded that self-care goes beyond, you know, bubble baths and rosé, like we were saying. Um, but I'm interested to know for you, especially knowing your journey, what hard lessons have you learned as an individual that you hope become like common sense uh, to the general public over time? Oh, that's a great question. First off, I wanted to say, I, I please keep me posted on everything. Um, I'm sorry that you're going through that. That's really a bummer and yeah. and a distraction and and stressful. So uh, keep me posted on that, Jasmine. Um, what hard lessons have I learned? I think, um, you know, I, I think as as uh, listen, I've learned a lot. What <laughs> a lot of hard lessons over the years. Um, I think, you know, for me, something that I've, I've learned is, um, taking care of yourself up front yeah. versus oh. waiting until things like quite, excuse my French, but until shit hits the yeah. ground later. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that that also trickles down to as a leader, your employees as well, making sure that they're taking care of themselves, um, and, and honoring that and celebrating that. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, so often, especially startup culture. And, and I struggle mm-hmm. with this too, being back in, in the startup, uh, you know, and the startup grind is that, you know, you, you push, push, push. And, and typically people who get in, who are entrepreneurs and 
and get into startups are, are very ambitious and, and hardworking, but it's your health should be as much of a priority as well. Cause if it, without it, you know, you're not going to be able to perform at the level that you, you expect from yourself. And then there comes the residual heartache. I think that that was one of the hardest lessons for me. And, and, um, and then being comfortable with not not being okay always I think has been a, has been a, a tough lesson that I had to learn because I think part of part of you know I, I prided myself in being able to handle you know just pile my plate up and and work on every, everything and say yes to everything and I think that at some point you you know you have to prioritize mm-hmm. you because no one is going to do that for you. When I say, uh, if anyone is curious what I've spent the last several years in therapy talking about, uh, it is understanding that. And you said something that particularly hits me in my, like, beyond heart, my soul, which is I beforehand was taking so much pride in being a people pleaser and saying yes and almost wanting to be this performative, um, like, professional juggler. And now realizing that, and, and I'm still in transition to reframing my mind and, and conditioning myself to believe this wholeheartedly, but understanding I can also take pride in setting boundaries and knowing that saying no doesn't make me a, like an awful person. It makes me somebody who prioritizes myself. Um, so that's the narrative I'm currently working to adopt. And it's a lifelong change and narrative. I don't think that, you know, I think that so often that's another thing that we put pressure on ourselves is we, if we learn something new and we expect to implement it right away. And I think that's another area in which we don't really practice and honor this, the whole journey of self-love is because, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a situation to then, you know, place that extra burden if you, if you do it wrong, um, or, or beat yourself up if you, if you don't get it right the first time, but that is an ongoing, what I've learned is it's an ongoing journey um, that, you know, you're, it's, it's not a, it's not linear. It's, you know, you go up and down in that journey as, as you're doing it and to have the compassion around it is so important. Jasmine, you mentioned something, you said boundaries. Yep. Um, and so I wanted to share with you actually, the day I left Bumble, I got a tattoo on my wrist um, in Sanskrit and it says Asteya. And uh, I didn't realize that that was going to be the name of my future company. Um, I just thought it was a beautiful philosophy and way of life. Um, Asteya means non-stealing. And it is all about the circle of abundance. And what that means, it's it's one of the yamas and niyamas from, from yoga. I learned it when I was um, in, the, in the ashram. And it basically means not taking more than you need or deserve from the earth, from others, or from yourself. And to me, that was the easiest way because because boundaries is such a, it's such a buzzword that we use. Yep. And I think mm-hmm. it, it's hard to understand because in so many ways, particularly women too, you know, don't have um, a, a proper, like that was never something that was really taught to us. But if you look at it in a way of non-stealing, it's, am I taking from another person? Am I taking from myself? Am I taking from the earth? And, and am I taking from my future self? So for, for me, that was, Asteya was an a, approach that actually helped me figure out, you know, that, that, that it was my time to move on and, and do something else. Um, and I think that 
you know, in terms of, of looking at life, it's like you steal from your future if you don't take care of yourself in the now. Um, you steal from other people at work. And then this is why we named the company Asteas because I, I think it's a beautiful way. And, and my, my co-founders agree that it's a beautiful way to run a company from the top down. So if you micromanage, if you take credit mm-hmm. for somebody else's work, if you cut somebody off in a business meeting, what, whatever it is, all of these things are stealing from from somebody else and their opportunity or their space, uh, you know, to to own the floor or own their accomplishments. And and we wanted that to be the approach that we take internally as a team. That is, it's wild. Everything you're saying. Literally yesterday, I was speaking with someone. Um, I recently had to cut ties with a client. It wasn't on bad terms at all. It was genuinely, I have too many clients now. I need to reserve my bandwidth, which means, you know, realizing which relationships need to come to an end for whatever the reason, whether it's financial or, you know, our mission's no longer aligned. And I was, and she said something, the person I was venting to, who's also a freelancer, and she's like, when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. And she was talking about the circle of abundance. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful way to like reframe it. And I really hope that becomes a part of, I hope that becomes more part of Western culture as well. Again, I think we've just barely scratched the surface. Um, but I really hope as a culture, we begin to evolve and understand what you just said. We don't have to steal the spotlight at work. We don't have to steal the spotlight in our personal lives either. Yeah. And I think exactly, I think too, you know, the circle of abundance, it's, it's that whole concept that, that if you put in, you know, if you're, if you're open and willing to put in more than you take out or, or in into life in general, yeah. um, you know, and not to the point that you exhaust or overexert yourself. <laughs> if, you're, if you're, you know, if you, the, the whole concept is if you put in more than you take out, then you create abundance for the world um, and for the earth. And that's a, a way of thinking about it. I mean, it goes, it can be as granular as, you know, the workplace or the way that we treat the earth. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, it goes across everything, which is why, I, I loved it so much, and I thought it was it was a nice way to live. Do I do I truly practice it every day? Oh. No, I think that would be uh, again like we're talking about. You know, this is you know learning new concepts and mm-hmm. and reframing your life is a is a day to day practice. Life lifelong, absolutely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and switching gears just a little bit, I know we talked about it a few weeks ago, but when you worked at Bumble, you were a leader among an all female suite. Um, Almost. Almost all. You're right. Thank you. And what did you learn um, about being with a nearly all-female suite? Um, and what stereotypes have you – I know we've talked offline. Um, one in particular is, oh, women make horrible bosses because whatever stereotype we want to insert here. But it's been so refreshing to learn your experience. And I would love to hear you speak more about – um, what your what your relationship was like with the other leaders at Bumble? Sure, I was. It was very special. Uh, my time at Bumble, I have to say, that was some of the. I feel very, very like privileged and lucky to have gotten the the opportunity to to be a part of that company. Um, and what I found and what I thought was so interesting is that you you hear it all the time. It's like you know, women working together. Ooh, all women. It's 
petty. It's yeah. it's got to be catty. There's got to be so much drama. And it was actually quite the opposite. From my experience, I, I had so much support. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a level of what was really interesting about, about Bumble and which I don't know if I would ever be able to operate in another way now after, mm-hmm. after being there is that we really encourage people to bring their whole selves to work. Um, and that doesn't mean, you know, like showing up like unprofessionally or, you know, <laughs> your whole self wants to drink rosé at 2 p.m. <laughs> 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 But what I mean is like, uh, you know, like uh, showing up and, and allowing yourself to be human, yeah. um, I think is so important because it enables you to, um, to build trust within teams. And, and I think because of that, there were so many like times in, in my life, like I went through a divorce when I was at Bumble and, um, and your teammates having some sort of insight into what's going on in your life, you know, they, all I ever had, all I ever felt or saw was support from, from other people who were willing to, you know, be there. And, and if it's picking up the slack, if I'm, if I've dropped something or, or being patient or whatever it is, I think that, you know, having that color and context only mm-hmm. helps um, enable you to have a, a stronger workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there are obviously lines that you don't, that, that, you don't cross, but I think because we were also a dating app, you know, like we, we encourage people to bring, like to, to have those stories be part of, part of what, what our, um, you know, ethos was, but then you look at Asteya and it's similar, like your health journey, you know, we, we're all very open about our health journeys because, um, that really does help us like further educate us on, on what we're doing. And, you know, what, if, if something's happening to one of us, it could happen to one of our customers and, um, and looking at things in that way. Like even for me, I think um, I've kind of dovetailed out of the conversation around uh, women, women leaders, but, you know, for, for me, we, we sell products that are for uh, people who have pre-existing conditions and chronic conditions, but a lot of income insurance products don't. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, one of my personal, you know, some of ours, some of ours do cover pre-existing. I just want to make that clear. Um, but one of my personal goals now is, is to provide richer benefits down the line. And this is a, a personal mission. So, you know, it's not something that happens overnight when you're going into an, a very, I mean, decades old, like industry, um, you know, is to, is to provide better benefits and access to benefits for people who do have chronic health conditions. And so, you know, it's, it's looking at every, you know, having, having the, the background of my own health journey helps, helps, you know, sort of paint Mm -hmm. the picture of, of how to look at and approach something differently. And I think that if you're, if you're too, concerned with being buttoned up in an, in an office space and in a, in a structure like that, then you, you can't really navigate the nuances and, and come up with ways to, to, you know, creatively reimagine, um, you know, industries. And I think, you know, and talking back to women leaders as well, I think, you know, it's, it's funny when, when Jasmine, when I got into insurance, I got a lot of feedback from people that were like, wow, I just didn't see that being your next move. I thought you would go into fashion or something, you know, like just kind of, you know, picking what I guess would be like stereotypical roles that women would move into next. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would just like take this moment to encourage like 
women, like you, you can learn new skills, you can learn new industries. And there are so many of these industries, especially in, in the finance, financial world, you know, I typically would have probably stayed away from, um, but I saw a need for, for a product like this. And I, and, and in being in it, there's so much creativity that, and, and that can be brought to the table from people who think outside of the box, um, inside the box. And so I think that, you know, they're just encouraging people not to rule themselves out of, of being a part of something different uh, before they even get the chance to try. That is such an important PSA. I love that you shared that because I've done it myself, but I think almost everyone listening can think of a job that they either were in or didn't take because it didn't seem glamorous or it didn't fit the what their idea of a dream job would look like, but the fact of what you said, you can bring creativity to this role into something like the insurance industry or, you know, I worked at Open Door where similar, um, they they really wanted to be, you can get a quote and sell your house, you know, within seconds or, you know, things have changed over the years. Mm-hmm. But um, I never thought I would work in real estate for three years, but, and granted, I was on the HR side of things, but it was like, we were always just, play, it was like adult Tetris. Like how can we make this more accessible, creative? Um, there's a certain part of your brain that you get to tap into. So I love that you, you shared that you don't have to only work in fashion or something else to, um, to really be challenged at work or feel, um, or feel creatively fulfilled. Yeah, I, I think it is. It's so fun to, to get into different, industries and there's there's so many ways to be creative and I think that you know there's uh, creativity is often you know we look at it exactly like you're saying like the glamorous like approaches to creativity but creativity is is really being able to think differently and apply that um in into whatever role you're in um so if you're working at a company that you know are working for something that doesn't feel as uh, you know, as like <laughs> Instagramable, I guess. <laughs> yes. say that. Like, like, I think that we we think creativity has to be in certain industries, and I think that's I I, I also think that's a that's just not true. There are so many ways to be creative. And speaking of industries, creativity, something that we'll find across the board is conflict. And when we've spoken offline, you've been such a wealth of of advice when it comes to how do you bridge those conversations? Or if you say something offensive, you know, a lot of us are committing ourselves to doing better in the workplace and, um, and working on microaggressions and being thoughtful and aware of pronouns and we're going to get things wrong. I would love for you to share some of the advice that we've talked about offline and, and how to approach conversations and how to try to show up and do your best every day as we really navigate a new a new workforce after 2020. Yeah, I think it's an amazing it's amazing where we've how far we've come and how fast. Yeah. Um, but I, I do, you know, we talked about this um that the challenge of this is that you know, there's a there, there, there are a lot of challenges of, 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 of really, you know, reframing the workplace or, 
or bringing empathy into the workplace or just like not even, it's not even empathy. It's just understanding of others Mm -hmm. in the workplace. And, you know, we really started our journey early on by putting women in control of dating, seeing like those dynamics flip and then, and really, you know, as a, a team of women, like I remember at the beginning of Bumble, um, people saying to me like close men in my life saying things to me like, Oh, like your, your new little gig, or isn't this a gimmick or doesn't this feel sleazy like that you're doing this or, you know, just kind of talking down in some ways to me as a woman. And so I experienced that feeling very quickly, um, you know, in that space. And I think that, you know, as, as we continue to expand and evolve and grow, you know, I think I shared this with you that, you know, the early team at Bumble, you know, you, you hire based on when you're, when you're building a startup and you're moving quickly, you kind of hire based on your network. And, um, the early team of us were, we all looked the same, you know, we were young women and that was, that was revolutionary in general, that it was a a team of all Mm -hmm. women, but we did, we were all women from similar backgrounds. And, um, and once we realized that, you know, we, we moved very quickly, you know, to, to, to make to like with a concerted effort to, to change that um, because that is so it's, it's not only limiting, you know, it's limiting in so many ways. And I think it, it, it limits your ability to grow and expand. Um, but it also limits your ability. Like if we're saying we're, we're, we're trying to achieve equality in dating, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we're speaking to one type of audience, that's not really achieving equality in dating period. Like you have to yes. be able to speak to yes. every audience and every person's experience. And you can't do that if you're working in a, um, you know, in sort of like an, 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 like echo, like echo chamber. And so. Absolutely. Actually, yeah. I, um, I don't know if you're familiar. I believe her name is Gabby, but she's the editor in chief of Nylon. And she recently, uh, I think she works on Netflix now, but she was on a podcast and she was talking about this, that and it would be so interesting to get your opinion as a former uh, chief brand officer, because she said, oftentimes we're thinking about our, our dream consumer or our dream client. And she's like, while there's utility in that, you can then also become an echo chamber and only be speaking Mm -hmm. to one person all the time. Um, And so she said that that was something she challenged at Nylon. Um, And and something that she said that she's been seeing more and more. And I just thought that was a really nuanced and evolved way to think of it, that perhaps we shouldn't only be thinking of our one dream client because we hope to speak to well, you know, we hope to speak to many people, of course. To, so, yeah, to, to so many people, everybody from different experiences. I totally agree with that. Um, and, you know, and, and, and something that we had a lot of difficult conversations at Bumble as, as we were we were navigating, um, navigating this years ago. And, and this is pre-2020. Um, so that's I can I can only speak to that. But a lot of what we would, what would be said at the beginning of these conversations or what, you know, what I, what I learned that was really helpful for me is everybody, you have to start from a place where, where you recognize and believe in the fact that everybody's intentions are good in these conversations. Mm -hmm. So if somebody says something that is not the correct approach to saying it, or, um, says something that is unintentionally disrespectful, insulting, um, 
what have you, you know, in knowing up front that like and being open and saying, I may mess up. My intention is not to. And if I do, like I'm the floor is open to educate me, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I understand also that the onus is never on another person to educate someone. But but putting that situation there, I think, frees up a lot of space to where there are these silent or uh, silent, you know, feelings of, of insult or microaggressions or, you know, what have you that people don't don't catch and don't check, but be creating a space where people feel like they can check somebody um, out of compassion and out of out of out of um, a real understanding that the, that the other person's intentions were good puts you in a space where you can move through and learn, learn quickly. And, um, and I, I really appreciated, appreciated that approach. I understand that that's not for everybody, but, and I, I understand like, you know, listen, I, I think where we are as a society, there's a lot of, of righteous anger. Oh, you know, people absolutely. are in a place yeah. where they absolutely. deserve to be angry and deserve to want to be heard and deserve to, you know, we're like there, this is years and generations of, of, you know, of conflict that has been, you know, kind of pushed down to where it's, it's, it's surfacing now. And I think that, that it's, it's the, it's an amazing time that we're in to do that. I think that the, the flip side is that, um, you know, I think there are people who have good intentions that are then scared to say the wrong thing or scared to say anything and it and that hinders that hinders growth mm-hmm. and the ability to learn and mess up so um, and and so I think in that regard you know two of the phrases that, I, that I've learned over time that have been really helpful to me is is the question what did you mean by that mm-hmm. so if somebody says something in in a space that comes across as inappropriate or in any way of, of an insult, you know, what did you mean by that gives the person the opportunity to explain what they meant. Um, but then also it, it opens it up in a way where the person who feels like they've been talked down to or disrespected doesn't have to outright say, you know, it, it just, it, it creates a, a, an approach that, that gives the explanation in a softer, softer way um, that, that doesn't put either party on the defense. Um, and then the other phrase that I've learned that that was from the VP of people who was there when I was there, uh, Leah Heck, who's just brilliant. She her phrase that she taught me was that didn't feel right. Yeah. Let me try again. Yeah. Or that didn't sound right. Let me try again. So if something comes out the wrong way, you know, feeling like you like and, and you know, it did quickly taking ownership for it and and you know, trying again shows that you're trying and shows that you're learning and that you're willing to learn. But also you can reframe that to say that didn't sound right. Did you want to try that again? Or do you want to try that again? And that that also frees the other person up to to learn without feeling like you have to teach them. Exactly. And that's the part um, that's the part that I think is so important. And I love I've, when we were speaking offline, I wrote that down and I've been using it in my personal life because I think it keeps the, it's not so condescending. It doesn't feel like we're trying to crucify other people. It's like, to me, there's a human connection into saying something like, that didn't sound right. Do you want to try again? Or, hey, that didn't sound right. Let me try again. So thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, what you, what you just said is so important, which is the human connection, Mm -hmm. like in a workplace, like, you know, or in life and all relationships, like, you know, they, they all are built around connections and trust. And it's, unfortunately can be so easy to fracture that trust. Um, And I think that, you know, we've all been on that experience on both ends where someone has fractured that trust or we've fractured the trust for someone else. And it's, you know, instead of it being something that you dwell and let and let like sit and and stew, then that creates resentment. And like silent resentment, I think, is one of the scariest things that can happen to, to a relationship, because if you don't if you don't address it head on immediately, even if the conversations are uncomfortable in that moment, like you you the, that clarity allows you to see the other person like still see them for who they are versus all of the you know then then labels categories uh that you can you know stories that you tell yourself that you can start to place someone else in versus allowing them in that moment to to explain themselves so that you don't get carried away in that resentment cycle that is everything and to totally put myself on blast i was talking to my therapist this morning about that very thing i was telling her me and my husband's different conflict styles and i use the metaphor i'm like jordan's more like a volcano like he's gonna let you know what he thinks Mm -hmm. he erupts quickly and he Whereas I, I was like, I'm more like an earthquake, like everything's going to rumble and like, it's not loud, but you'll feel it. Cause I can like something I've worked on throughout our marriage is not being passive aggressive. I will sometimes suppress and not speak up and then it erupts and then it builds resentment and it's just mm-hmm. completely poisonous for any relationship. Um, and so that is something I'm always actively, and like we've said this whole time, I'm sure it is something I will work on for the next 30 years of my life. Um, but absolutely, um, it, it breeds resentment. And one thing she taught me today, and I thought this was such a beautiful metaphor. She said, conflicts, you know, even things that aren't big fights, but just, you know, healthy conflicts of, you know, which hotel should we book for this upcoming trip? She was like, really see conflict as a road trip. And she's like, on a road trip, you you take pit stops and, you know, you might get lost, but you know, you'll eventually get to the destination. Um, And it's okay to take breaks and say, okay, you know what? We're both getting heated right now. Let's come back to this. Um, You know, so I think it's just, I know we're talking about both workplace and, and, and marriage, but I think conflict overall is something that, we've made it a much more scary topic and we, we, we can approach it with healthy tactics so that what you just said, everyone can be seen, heard and treated like an individual and we don't lose that human connection. Um, I love, I love that. And I think that one of the hardest lessons to learn is that, you know, in life and as, as we evolve in life and like constant life lessons also is that we're all, toxic and yeah. we're all, like I believe we're all we all have the ability to be toxic yes. or to poison relationships just as we all have the ability to bring light and to be good in relationships like I don't I think I don't think that we're like one person is good and one person is bad exactly. I think that we're all just navigating navigating things and and if if we can see it in that way you know it's a lot easier and in, in, in workplace environments too we can yeah. do this where you start to you know villainize someone else mm-hmm. without looking at what you could have done differently. And I think that that's like one of the most 
empowering things that you can do. And you mentioned self-love earlier, like one of the most empowering approaches to self-love is to like look at your own ways that you're look at your own shortcomings without passing too much judgment on them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that that opens you up to like, opens us all up to being more willing to see other shortcomings. Absolutely. Oh, this has been brilliant. Well, Alex, I know we want, I want to get to our rapid fire. So we will go answer it. Um, you can elaborate, keep it short and sweet, whatever you want, but, um, we have five questions. So when was a time either professional or personal that you realized the right thing and the hard thing were the same? Oh gosh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Rapid fire questions. Uh, Let's see. Right thing and the wrong thing. Right thing and the hard thing were the same. Uh, Admitting that I was in an an, an insane amount of pain um, and realizing that I wasn't okay and having to share that widely with a team Mm -hmm. and take steps to take care of that and realize that I was, that in not doing that, I was not going to be the leader that, um, that I wanted to yeah. be if I didn't start taking care of my health and, you know, and, and something that I, I think, you know, going back to the previous question, you know, we are, you know, when, when you're everybody, like I was saying, you know, everybody can be, everybody can bring poison into a workplace or, you know, I think when, when we get stressed too, there's a lot of like, there's, there are behavioral shifts that take place in, in people and employees that, you know, they, that they, they don't intend to do, but happen. And so there's, there's has to be grace with that, but I had to have grace with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a kind of a side topic, uh, I, that I just kind of brought in there and, in a rapid fire. Sort of <laughs> no, that's perfect. But I think that, you know, that, that was just something following up on that previous question. I think that, you know, there's just like having a lot of grace for people, but also having grace for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that, that for me, being able to admit that I wasn't okay was like a huge blow to the ego oh, yeah. um, because I, I had built myself up to, to felt like I seemed okay and felt like I, you know, had, had this image that I was able to, to carry everything and like the weight of the world and, and not being able to do so was really, um, it was almost humiliating yes. in a lot of ways. And, and, and that was, but that was the right move to make, to take care of my health. Um, and, and to admit that. Absolutely. That I was in pain because I think that, you know, it was almost like I like realizing that I was was not physically well was almost like taking off a mask. Mm-hmm. And in a way I'd been hiding, um, hiding that from not only other people, but from myself, like not admitting it to myself. Yeah. And I think that was one of the hardest things was to admit uh, not only to broadly, but also to me. Absolutely. Man. And then what are your favorite ways to celebrate big and small wins? I would say giving like praise and recognition where, where it's due, mm-hmm. you know, so making sure that people within a team feel like they are getting, you know, the accolades that for what they've done. I think that's one of the easiest ways to celebrate big and small wins pre COVID. There's a lot of <laughs> easy ways to celebrate big wins, but I think that, um, you know, using them to propel yourself forward. I think that one of the most important things is to never get too carried away in a big win or a big fail, Ooh, um, yeah, or a small yeah. win or a small fail, allow yourself to to enjoy them, but not not focus too much on them. Because I think that it's easy if as you're building something, if if you sit and, fo- and dwell too much on either, then you you don't stay on the like straight and narrow path to to um, 
a lot of a lot of times to success. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah. What is the one thing about wealth management and or business that few people know, but you wish everyone knew? Income insurance. Yes. Uh, without mm-hmm. hesitation to me. That knowing that there is something that safeguards your finances in the event of an illness or an accident and, and having that as an, as an option, um, to me is something that I wish more people knew about. I think, you know, as I've spoken to financial advisors, they say that that's something that they wish that people had more awareness of. Um, and that's really what we're trying. That's, that's our whole goal is, is to bring that awareness there because I think that in terms of, of importance, you know, finding ways to safeguard your future and, and your financial future is, you know, there are options out there. And this is one of them that I wish more people knew. A thousand percent. In fact, I would have been shocked if you had said anything else. (laughs) And then please complete this sentence. The best way to handle a toxic work environment is to blank. Handle it head on, mm, like we. I, I think that that's you know what the I say that and because we've talked a lot about this on this on this podcast so far, but I say that with the privilege of being a leader yeah. um, is is handling it head on. But if you are not a leader within an organization, I fully recognize that it is not as easy to handle something like that head on with with uh, people who who would be leaders in those situations. Um, so I would say, I would say making the effort to diagnose the problem mm-hmm. and find the solution versus, you know, talking about it, overcomplicating it and, and, and blowing it, blowing it up, inflating it in your head. And then, you know, as, as a leader, it is, it's your responsibility to solve the problem. Um, as somebody who's working in a company, I think if, if you cannot figure out how to fix it, how to solve it. And you try, I think the easiest way, honestly, is to find something different that, that works better for you. I love that answer. And I'm just, thank you for acknowledging that when there, there's a different power dynamic with, um, different roles at companies. And I love that you're going to answer for different levels. Um, and then the very final question is where can everyone keep up with you? Um, and, and where can everyone check out more of your work? Sure. So the way that you can check out Ostea and, and our product, our products, um, and, and keep in mind, we have, we have one product now, uh, that's fully digital online. We have more to come. Um, and that's at www.ostea.world. Um, you can see my, my passion and my baby there. Um, and then to keep up with Ostea, uh, we're very active on LinkedIn. Um, and also Ostea is, I'm not very active on LinkedIn, but Ostea is <laughs> terrible. I've got to get better at LinkedIn. Um, and, and on Instagram at Ostea.world. And then if you want to say hi to me or follow along with what I'm doing. It's my last name on Instagram and that's at Williamson. Perfect. Oh, Alex, thank you so much. I know you're incredibly busy and I really appreciate just your raw vulnerability, um, your candor. And I just really thank you for all the work that you're doing. And with that guys, yes, go check out Alex. And until next time, I will talk to you later.